and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast produced by the American Bar Association section of Dispute Resolution. I'm Marcy Dixon, a guest host of the podcast, and today I am speaking with Linda Klein, former ABA president and senior managing shareholder of Baker Donaldson in Atlanta. Hello, Linda. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Oh, Marcy, thank you for including me today. It makes a lot of sense to have you on the show, given your presence and service with ABA and the fact that you are a mediator and arbitrator. So welcome. And depending on when you're listening to this, we're at the beginning of Q1 of 2021, the year that everyone has been looking forward to. Um, And Linda, when you look at the industry-wide conversations that we're having now versus a year ago, it's really astounding to observe where we are and where the field of dispute resolution is headed whether you're looking at the dominance and the rise of online ADR to increased calls for diversity and inclusion, there's a lot to consider in terms of what's happening in ADR. Uh, But before we get to any of that, uh, for those that may be unfamiliar with your work, Linda, can you just talk a bit about how you got started in the practice of ADR? I started uh, my career largely as a construction lawyer. And the construction industry was one of the first adapters of arbitration as a method of dispute resolution. And so that's really what got me excited about it. And then as mediation became a thing, because when I first started practicing law, it really wasn't, uh, I was what we would call an early adapter uh, of mediation as a dispute resolution process because it just works so well. So ADR was in my lawyer blood, as it were, at a, at a very early age. And that's what got me interested in uh, becoming a neutral myself. And I also noticed how few women were neutrals. And that was another motivation for me to become a neutral. Interesting. You have certainly been a trailblazer throughout your career, Linda. Uh, you've mentioned the lack of women in ADR, and that's a, a nice segue into um, you know one of the critical issues that we're facing in ADR, and that's the glaringly low levels of diversity and inclusion within the profession. Uh, there's obviously a lot that needs to be done to fully appreciate and understand the issues regarding intersectional representation of people of diverse ethnic and racial backgrounds in ADR. And, and I've been party to a lot of conversations about what needs to change and how we can sustain the work being done to make measurable improvements. Uh, but Linda, in your estimation, what can be done to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion in ADR? Wow, uh, this is a big question. And uh, as you know, I have a lot to say about it. Uh, There are many stakeholders in the ADR process. You've got the parties, the lawyers, uh, groups like yours at at Miles Mediation uh, that administer ADR. And of course, the courts are stakeholders in ADR. Um, So trying to, I don't know that we'll be able to fit all of it in, but let's talk first about the parties and their lawyers as stakeholders. Parties and lawyers want neutrals, you know, mediators and arbitrators who look like, make that think like them. Uh, A recent groundbreaking study from the International Council for Commercial Arbitration, it's called ICCA, and you can find this study online, uh, shows that diversity in selecting neutrals is more likely to come from administrator appointments rather than party appointments. Now, to be sure, diversity is increasing, but it's increasing more slowly in party appointments. 
I personally believe that the slow increase in party appointments looks like the slow increase in diverse people serving on corporate boards. Kind of a similar issue. Uh, Corporate board members historically felt more comfortable with people who are like them. Uh, Then they appoint one woman or one person of color who becomes, let's say, I'll put this in air quotes, tested. And she gets appointed over and over again. And then other diverse people don't get an opportunity. Uh, And this is particularly true in party appointments. We all wait for the time when there's parity and we can stop counting the number of diverse people on a particular board or on arbitration panels or as neutrals. But I personally have never served nor been an advocate in an arbitration where the panel had more than one woman. Uh, And if you're listening to this podcast and you want more information on this issue, uh, you can look at the many resources available. You could search affinity bias or unconscious bias, and I think it'll inform a lot of uh, the background here. Uh, And let's just talk about some biases because I just thought of a story uh, that I want to share. Uh, Last week, a a woman lawyer around my age said when she started practicing at a large New York firm, she remarked to me that there was only one woman partner. In my firm in Atlanta, we had no women partners until I became the one. There's a perception that women are not good at math. Remember the Barbie doll, math is hard. There's a perception that women are not good at math and Thus, they'll be weak on damages calculations, or they have a liberal bias that they're more likely to favor the smaller company or uh, favor an individual against the company. Some people believe that a woman arbitrator or mediator will automatically side with a woman who's counsel for one of the, one of the sides. Uh, I know you think that's a joke, but I have proof. I know a woman lawyer who suggested a woman arbitrator with exactly precisely on point experience. And she was told, oh, you just want to appoint your friend. She'd never met this woman. She found this woman from research. Parties should put diversity clauses in their contracts when the contracts contain ADR clauses. And this way you bring the issue to the forefront and encourage the selection of diverse neutrals. Uh, Lawyers and corporate counsel are absolutely critical to this decision. Uh, The ABA has a program, you can find it online, called Power of the Purse. You can download this for free from the ABA website. And it explains that diversity comes when clients insist upon it. And just like corporate clients are encouraging and mandating diversity in the lawyers who represent them, It's going to take clients encouraging and requiring this. Clients are going to need to insist on these clauses. The American Institute of Architects, which is called the AIA, uh, it writes the most popular standard construction contracts. And I think they should add these clauses to their standard construction forms. And they should not wait until the next uh, update, which won't be published until 2027. As lawyers, we should be adding diversity clauses to the contract dispute resolution paragraphs in the forms that are on our word processing systems right away. You just do it. And if you do, I promise you the clauses will become commonplace very quickly. Very few clients, very few opposing counsel are going to strike them. 
Law firms and legal departments right now are signing on to the Mansfield rule. And if you don't know what that is, you can search that online too. And in the Mansfield rule, these law firms and legal departments agree that at least 30% of every group considered for leadership will be diverse. Well, why not do this with arbitration panels? Yes, absolutely. I'm a big fan of the Mansfield rule and all the great work that Diversity Lab is doing on that front and agree that something like this um, would actually um, be of immense use in the ADR. Uh, So question, what would um, sort of a universal clause like this include? There's no magic language, I guess. Uh, You can write what you think serves the parties best. Uh, The first one I'm aware of is the JAMS Diversity Clause, uh, and it says the parties agree that whenever practicable, they will seek to appoint a fair representation of diverse arbitrators considering gender, ethnicity, and sexual orientation, and will request administering institutions to include a fair representation of diverse candidates on their rosters and a list of potential arbitrator appointees. Note that this clause only talks about arbitrators and maybe not enough of the diverse groups that we want to include, but I suggest that you should have your clause that covers any ADR, not just arbitration. Uh, There are other things that that law firms and corporate counsel can do. Uh, They can take the diversity pledge. Uh, it's, It's also called the ERA, so it's another ERA. It's called Equal Representation and Arbitration. Uh, also available on the internet. You can find it. Uh, While it's written about gender diversity only, the group encourages diversity in ADR and has links to groups with rosters of uh, ethnically diverse arbitrators as well as uh, uh, women arbitrators. I also think you need to train your law department or your corporate legal department. Train the people who are selecting the arbitrators. Train them to become aware of the problem. Maybe they should take the Harvard implicit bias test. Give them other tools so they can become aware. Then you need to train them to fix the problem, and you can have training sessions about that. You have sample clauses like the ones we just discussed. You can create sensitivity to the lists of neutrals that they're provided and make sure that they're trained to be open-minded when selecting uh, maybe an unfamiliar arbitrator. In all the organizations you support uh, and any organization you sponsor financially, I think you should insist that the programs they present are diverse. Uh, When I was ABA president-elect, we adopted this rule. Um, It says the ABA will not sponsor or co-sponsor or seek CLE accreditation for any program that doesn't meet the criteria of one-third diverse participation. And and you can find the details on that on the ABA website, Uh, but you need to know that noncompliance can result in a $2,500 fine to the entity that's presenting the program. But as far as I know, it has never been levied. So, see, it's really not that hard. Another thing I want law firms and legal departments to think about is if you get a call from one of the ranking services like Chambers, please not only take the time to answer the call, but assure that half the people you recommend are diverse. These rankings may not be the most important thing, 
but they're another point to add to the list of credentials for diverse lawyers seeking appointments as neutrals. If you're selecting neutrals, go broadly outside your regular network to find new potential arbitrators and mediators. When you get a list, work until you get some feedback on every diverse candidate. Don't reject a diverse neutral just because the people in your firm or your network don't know her. Do your research. Uh, Don't just circulate the list in your law firm or your network and stop. If you're a lawyer uh, or corporate counsel and you get a proposed panel that is all white men, complain. I did that once when my client and I, both women, got a list of all white men from which to choose. If you don't complain, things won't change. If your corporate counsel, ask your outside counsel whether the panel array presented was diverse. Write to the administrating agency and tell them that ADR is a voluntary process and you're not going to use their service if they don't present a diverse panel. I agree with everything that you just said. I just great, great suggestions. What about institutional providers and purveyors of ADR services? Obviously, there are a lot of providers that are doing really great work out there in terms of the clauses which you have mentioned and um, being more vocal about the importance and um, the advantage of of, of having more diverse neutrals um, as candidates um, for arbitration and mediation work and so forth. What more can institutional providers be doing? The ADR providers should have programs where you can meet diverse neutrals. Uh, Ask your ADR provider organizations to have these programs so that you can meet diverse neutrals. They can be CLEs or when we get past COVID in-person events uh, with a short program. And you also want to have time to mingle informally. Uh, Ask the ADR provider organizations about their policies and practices regarding diversity and how they can be improved, and ask them to stretch their benchmarks. Insist that they be transparent about their efforts and successes. Uh, And advice to ADR providers, celebrate your achievements. Celebrate even incremental achievements, because it shows to us that your organization cares and is working to make progress. And put it out on social media and watch for the positive reactions, because I guarantee you that they will come. We We talked about the JAMS diversity statement. Uh, The International Institute for Conflict Prevention and Resolution, which is CPRADR.org, that group and others have come out with clauses similar to the JAMS diversity statement, but CPR has taken a slightly different approach to encouraging parties to appoint more diverse neutrals. It has added a statement in the nomination letter that it sends along with the list of prospective neutrals for parties to consider. And the statement I think is so good that I'm gonna read it in its entirety. CPR is committed to increasing diversity and inclusion in the dispute resolution field. Women and minorities continue to be underrepresented as neutrals, although robust evidence demonstrates that diversity improves group decision-making. While considering candidates, CPR encourages you to remain cognizant of the role that implicit bias can play in the selection process 
and to consider the value of diversity and the role that your selection plays in furthering inclusion in the dispute resolution community. Members of CPR's panels of distinguished neutrals undergo a rigorous vetting process and comprise those among the most respected and elite mediators in the arbitration world. And I thought that was a very, very powerful statement. And I know specifically that this diversity statement expressly asks the parties to be cognizant of implicit bias and to try to keep it out of the neutral selection process. Yes, absolutely. I agree with all of that. And, uh, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts, too, about how COVID-19 is going to impact the work that has been done to this point. Because as, as we know, uh, the pandemic has disproportionately affected marginalized groups. So we've experienced these um, heightened dialogues about increasing diversity and equity and and inclusion and, and all these stakeholders are um, involved in moving the needle, but is, is, are we being set back? I mean, do we need to be more realistic about um, how far we've come versus how much the pandemic is actually impacting the progress that we've made? I am concerned about that. Uh, I recently had an email exchange with my friend, uh, former ABA president, Carolyn Lamb, and Carolyn was the chair of that ICC committee that wrote the report on gender disparities in arbitration selection. And she agreed with me and underscored concern that the social interaction needed to grow the pipeline of diverse arbitrators is going to be reduced by COVID. Uh, She said uh, less experienced women have not been able to be at the many conferences where they meet and greet and they build a network of advocates and clients and institutions that may have a role in appointing them. Uh, She said that she really believed that COVID has had an impact and it's gonna take years to overcome. So that left me to think, uh, what should we do to prevent Carolyn's grim prediction from becoming reality? Uh, We need to find ways to make up for the lack of conferences and create other ways for people who select neutrals to meet potential future neutrals so we can maintain this diverse pipeline. Uh, Studies are showing that children are falling behind with Zoom instruction. And similarly, we cannot allow this once in a century crisis to hurt the pipeline of future leaders in ADR. In law firms, this problem is particularly apparent at the junior associate and potential new arbitrator level, which could hurt the pipeline. Uh, An example, Uh, A law firm partner might sit down with a junior associate to review and edit an assignment. With everyone in the office during regular hours, that's really easy. When you have to schedule Zoom calls, the partner finds it easier to do it herself or to give the assignment to a more senior associate. FaceTime between partners and associates is important, just like FaceTime between potential neutrals and the people who might appoint them is important. But in law firms, junior associates are not getting the quality of work and training and development. And also the social interactions in the office create relationships that lead to opportunities. So the same thing that's going on in the law firm is going on in in creating the neutral pipeline, just as it is in creating the partner pipeline. Virtual happy hours are probably better than nothing, but it's certainly not as good. 
So a suggestion. With so many ADR proceedings going virtual, don't forget to liberally allow young lawyers to watch arbitration and mediation proceedings to encourage them to pursue uh, neutral work. If you're in-house counsel, ask your outside counsel to have a program offering young lawyers, both in the law firm and in the legal department, opportunities to shadow neutrals and create buddy systems. And buddy systems can create mentoring and sponsoring and informal networking. What about the diverse neutrals, though, if they wanted to take matters into their own hands and be more proactive in terms of marketing their services and developing their practices, what recommendations do you have for them? That's a great question. Uh, I recently assisted an organization that was vetting arbitrators for its panel, and they worked really hard to diversify the candidates. There was a feeling that some of the diverse candidates were less qualified. And that's disappointing, and, and some of that was implicit bias, and some of that was fewer years of experience. Some of it was just a lack of opportunity. If there is a perception that diverse candidates are less qualified, the pipeline is just doomed. So there are two different points I want to make relative to this. First, if you are on panels, please, please add details about your experience to your bio. This is, this is the most important thing I think I can say about this. Note the types of issues you've resolved. Do not worry that your bio is too long because now lawyers are searching for keywords when they're looking for a neutral and you need to come up on those keyword searches. If you have skills working virtual technology, that's big now, note that too. But there's lots more. Now there's that old adage that men are promoted on potential and women on experience. And it's unfair, but all diverse neutrals listening, you have the experience and the potential. Tell the lawyers, because they want to choose you, but they, but they need to know what you've got to offer. Uh, with less in-person socializing, uh, word of mouth will be less po- a less popular way to find neutrals. Uh, sure, we'll still make an effort to call trusted friends on big cases, but these casual discussions at conferences aren't happening. And this means that your online profile is more important and will get more new people opportunities. Second, uh, it is imperative that law firms assure that diverse lawyers get opportunities. This is where Zoom helps. We can have the most junior lawyers begin attending these ADR proceedings because there's no travel expenses. And with the courts closed because of COVID and the backlog when they reopen, private ADR will probably increase. More cases, particularly more smaller cases, should open opportunities for neutrals to get their first case. And once you have your first case, the second one is easier. People ask me how I got to be the first woman president of the State Bar of Georgia. And I told them I took the job that nobody wanted and did it well. And from there came the next opportunity and the next. And as soon as I said that out loud, I realized that that was the way I became a law firm partner and a law firm leader. It all started by agreeing to do the job nobody wanted and doing it well. And that's how you should approach each and every neutral appointment, but especially the early ones. Do a great job 
and the next ones will come. Some other thoughts on developing your ADR practice, just they're coming to the top of my head. Keep at it, keep networking, attend the Zoom parties and events, participate, use social media to get found, remember those keywords about your specific experience. Meet people, ask for their advice, ask for their mentoring. Uh, Take the time to write. Bar Association newsletters and publications always searching for authors. So credential yourself. Another way to credential yourself, of course, includes training. Take classes and put them on your bio. Uh, Look the part. And I'm not necessarily referencing your dress, but, but that's important. You should ooze integrity. Be without bias. Be curious and be friendly. Um, And I guess the last point I want to make on this is, for goodness sakes, support diverse neutrals. Praise their work. Encourage others to praise their work. And speak out when you see bias. If you don't, who will? And how will things ever change? Wow, I almost want to. I want to take a moment to reflect on that. What you just shared um, was fantastic advice. This would be a good segue into focusing on something else that's happening within the industry. Um, I think that on some level we can all agree that online mediation and arbitration is here to stay. I mean, not at all to discount the many mediators and providers who were using online platforms pre-COVID, uh, but it's a permanent fixture in the industry nonetheless. Linda, can you talk a bit about this seismic shift that's occurred in terms of how practitioners are relying on online platforms and and what this means for the industry long-term? Online ADR is here to stay because it is cheaper. I can't say it is better, but it is adequate and the best we can do under the circumstances of COVID. It is not better because you miss a lot of the visual cues that come from being in the same room. It is not better because it is easier for people to get distracted from the proceedings. And it's not better because it's easier for people to cheat like coaching witnesses. As technology continues to improve, online ADR will improve. Think of it a lot like email. Uh, How many times has something we said in an email been misinterpreted because tone and inflection was missing. That said, virtual ADR has benefits. Online ADR will give more younger professionals the opportunity to watch and learn. And this is important for professional development. Bottom line, the cost savings and continuing improvement in technology means that virtual ADR, uh, particularly for smaller cases, will be permanent. And virtual ADR will likely get more disputes resolved in a more cost-effective manner. Okay, so Linda, the practice of law was already experiencing pressure due to the rise of alternative legal service providers and legislative changes and um, calls for increased diversity, so many things. Does the pandemic accelerate or lessen the seismic disruption um, that's occurring in the legal industry and ADR specifically? Technology is the great disruptor, whether it's providing legal services or resolving disputes. Uh, The pandemic accelerated remote ADR and remote working options. I think that in the long run, it will accelerate the trend toward uniform 
practice of law rules, such as the uniform bar exam and the adoption of other nationwide practices. Uh, the U.S. has been criticized for not having national rules and laws during negotiations about international trade and legal services. Clients want to take their lawyers wherever they go. And we should realize that most changes to ethics rules and laws governing lawyering have been client-driven, such as the acceptance of in-house counsel, which at one time was not allowed. So clients have continued to push for multi-jurisdictional practice, and the pandemic may well accelerate interest in that. And as a, as a state bar person, I'm not advocating. I'm just saying what I believe is the reality of the future. So back to technology, I believe that artificial intelligence will continue to push its way into all aspects of business, including the practice of law and ADR. Computers will take the facts of your case, compare it to other cases, precedent uh, in, in the jurisdiction, and suggest a, and let's put air quotes around, fair result. Uh, smaller disputes at first are going to be resolved with artificial intelligence. And as large corporations see the cost savings in this, it's going to become more popular. So that's my prediction for the future. And I agree with that. It's, it's, it's interesting to see um, what AI has already done um, to the practice of law. And I, I certainly agree that um, there will be more changes to come. What about compulsory mediation, Linda? As you know, in many states, mediation is mandatory. And given the backlog of cases due to COVID-19 that you referenced earlier, um, is there a case that could be made for why mediation should be mandatory in every state? That's a good question. When, when society has problems it cannot solve, it turns to the courts. And that's a good thing. But nationwide, our court system is underfunded. You know, where we live in Georgia, the entire third branch of government gets less than one penny of every dollar in the budget. And as caseloads have grown over the years, the only way to try to keep up with the daily resulting from the lack of funding um, has been encouraging the use of ADR uh, because you've got all this delay and that's a lot of the delay has been because there's just not enough money to, to get the cases through the system. Uh, the pandemic really highlights this problem. The backlog of cases is growing at a faster rate because there have been few, if there have been any trials and, and court appearances like motion hearings, a lot of them have been canceled. And unless we raise tax dollars or otherwise find the money to fund the court system properly, we are going to need to mediate all the cases, or at least all the civil cases. Uh, you ask whether there is a, a case for making mediation mandatory in every state. And I think I just made that case. Uh, you might say that if I were a defendant in the civil case, well, well, what's my hurry? I get to hang on to my money until the jury and maybe the appellate court tells me otherwise. I believe that's an awfully cynical way of looking at this, and maybe some defendants have considered this. However, in tort cases, the pre- and post-judgment interest rates in many states are so much above the anticipated return on assets, waiting is not the best idea. So. I think that mandatory mediation will be on the rise. I agree with everything that you've said, and uh, thank you so much for um, sharing um, this valuable advice and um, this useful information for listeners of the podcast. 
uh, has been such a pleasure speaking with you. I appreciate um, the opportunity to have this conversation and thank you for your time and your insights. And of course, as always, your service to ABA. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to the listeners. Please stay tuned for the next episode of Resolutions.